from Luke. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And from John. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's really great to be with you this morning. This is not a test of the emergency broadcast system. This is the actual emergency. Uh, Mark's not feeling well. So I, I got the call this morning, and uh, providentially, my assistant has been preaching this month over at New City. So I'm uh, available and uh, glad to be here with you. I'm actually scheduled to be here with you in January like the 19th, I think. So I'm a little early, but hopefully you won't mind getting a, a double dose within uh, four weeks of, of what I have to bring you from God's Word. Um, today's passage, uh, or I should say passages, uh, begin in Luke 1 with the announcement of, of who this Jesus that we're celebrating uh, at Christmas time will be. He will be called the Son of the Most High, and God will give him a throne, the throne of his father, King David. But then the second passage we're looking at is from uh, later, much later in Jesus' ministry, really the, toward the end of his earthly ministry, where he's brought before this Roman uh, governor, uh, who in many ways is actually a king, and he asks Jesus, you know, who are you? What is it you're here to do? And Jesus accepts and doesn't accept the, the mantle of king in that moment. And so our, our goal here today is to sort of look at what it means um, for Jesus to be divine royalty and to recognize that if you really want to celebrate a, a real Christian Christmas, uh, you have to celebrate Jesus's divine royalty. So we're going to ask ourselves some questions about what that means, but let's ask for God's help before we do that. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for your holy word. We thank you for how it has spoken to your church for uh, thousands of years, and we ask, Lord, that you speak to us again and freshly this morning. 
We pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to work alongside your word in our hearts to bring us to a new understanding and new hope in Christ Jesus, whom you've provided to us. We ask in Jesus' name alone. Amen. So I hope that everyone here has been having uh, a wonderful holiday season. Uh, I, I love the season. You know, even you know, from Halloween on, I, it's, it's a fun time. There's uh, lots of family activities. Um, my family, uh, personally, is having sort of a bittersweet holiday season. We lost a family member this year, so it's been difficult. But it's, it's still amazing how at this time of year, there, there are so many opportunities for joy. Uh, and many of us are engaging in those opportunities, taking advantage of those opportunities, and then we turn on the news. And what we often see in the news uh, is, in many ways, sort of a cause for emergency in our lives, or at least we were brought up short and we say, oh my gosh, I can't believe what's happening, right? Maybe you've heard, maybe you followed last year, but maybe you heard about it again this year that the satanic church... <laughs> okay, the Satanic Church has uh, set up their memorial, their holiday memorial, again at the State House in Illinois. Right, last year was the first year they uh, were given this opportunity, and they took it. And uh, this Satanic monument is a is a representation of Eve holding the apple with a serpent climbing up her arm, and it says there's a placard on the monument that says something like, uh, "Knowledge is the greatest gift." And there's a thank you to um, the United States government for making it possible for all uh, faiths to be represented during the holiday season. Now, you can get upset about that. It's okay. We can all have opinions. You can, you can get worried about that. You can you know, have all your kind of Christmas dreams and hopes kind of ripped away from you as you watch the news report and watch the commentary. But I have some bad news for you if you're in that situation. And that's this. This little fledgling group of creepy academics <laughs> has not done nearly as much harm and damage in the world to the message of truth than the church that's been around for thousands of years. Through inquisitions, stake burnings of each other, ethnic cleansing, etc. The list goes on and I don't need to outline all that for you. <laughs> don't get it twisted. This group is not the enemy of the church. The church, historically, has often been its own worst enemy and even the enemy of their Savior. So let those Satanists have their little display and we can move on to discover what the gospel is and what it means and really answer the question that humanity does have, which is, can the wisdom presented to us in God's word about Jesus ultimately provide the kind of help that mankind needs to survive? Right? That's, that's sort of the contention of this group. They say knowledge is the greatest gift, right? And it's a, this is a testimony to uh, a rationalistic, scientific, barely scientific view of life, they would, they would say. Uh, and they're saying our wisdom is the wisdom that provides thriving for humanity. And they're throwing the gauntlet down and they're saying, what does the church have to offer instead? More of the same? 
And they look around at everyone in, in, in our nation and say, what, more of the same? More of the same? More of the same? We cannot be satisfied with more of the same. Church. So in order to understand the true wisdom of the biblical claim that Jesus is the divine king of kings, we need to understand just a few things today regarding these passages. The first is this. We need to understand where the divine king's land is. The second thing we need to understand is who the divine king's people are. And the third thing we need to understand is what the divine king's mission is. So who, where his land is, who his people are, and what his mission is. If we want to understand the wisdom of the biblical claims of Jesus. So let's start with this question. Where, where is the divine king's land? Where is it? And we, we sort of see um, Pilate essentially ask this question when he says to Jesus, uh, who will be called Son of the Most High, uh, who has been given the throne of his father, King David, right? He, he asks Jesus, maybe he's heard this testimony about Jesus. He says, are you king of the Jews? And he is knowledgeable enough about the Jewish people to understand how important it is for them to have a king on the throne and how heartbreaking it is for them to not have a king on the throne uh, that is a Messiah king, that has been promised while Rome occupies the nation of Israel. And this tradition regarding the prophetic promises of this Messiah can go way back. We see even in Psalm 2, we hear these words, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And so, even the psalmist picks up on this claim of a hopeful Messiah king who will be coming and actually places that king in a geographical location, Zion, in the city of Jerusalem, the holy hill of the Lord. Now, it'd be totally natural for all of the uh, Jewish folks and those committed to a Jewish way of life, it would be natural for them to assume that this Messiah would be the Messiah who would help them protect their land and who would identify with them geographically and make his throne, uh, establish his throne geographically on that holy hill in Zion. And so Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? Sort of as to say, where's your Zion throne? Where's your army? But what Pilate has missed and what most of the spiritual luminaries of that time period missed was that there was a shift in the expectation of who the Messiah would be and what the Messiah would be. So later in Scripture, in the prophet, the book of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, 
We read this familiar passage. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And so we read in this passage, and there are many more like it, of a royal divine Savior whose kingdom has no borders or boundaries, extends around the globe and extends back into history and forward into the future and is not located on a mountain and cannot have borders drawn around it. Pilots miss this. The spiritual leadership has missed this. And so when this supposed Messiah, Jesus, from Pilate's perspective, is asked, are you the king of the Jews? What he's missing causes him really to be asking, are you the king of the Jewish lands? Do you rule the Jewish lands? Have you come to win them back? And you'd think that a Messiah who is familiar with this tradition would say, Hell yes, I'm the Messiah. I'm here to take it back. That's what you would expect. But Jesus, as is his way, answers sort of the question and says, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. He won't let Pilate confuse his kingship with national identity or national borders. He's telling Pilate that his rule extends further than Rome and deeper into history and deeper into the future than Rome could have ever or would ever hope. His kingdom extends within, through, and past any nation ever established on this planet that he created. And instead of taking the opportunity to talk about nations and borders and armies and conquests, he goes on in verse 37 of John 18 and says, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come to the world, to bear witness to the truth. We might say, to bring divine wisdom. And so if he comes to bear witness to the truth, and this truth is for all creation, and all creation will be equally subject to his rule, what does that mean for us as the church today? What does it mean when the satanic temples of the world uh, behave in the ways in which they're behaving right now? What does it mean for us as they ask us, is Jesus really the king of the Jews? Here's what it means, and it takes some course correction for the church. First of all, it means that nationalistic efforts on behalf of any church of Christ have no place. No place within the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether it's America, Asia, Africa, or even Israel. There is no nation which bears the name of Christ. Christ bears his own name and the nations tag along. That's the plan. Secondly, where nationalistic efforts must cease, 
global efforts must begin. Any attempts that the churches of Christ around the world can make to understand their foreign counterparts, to work cross-culturally, to share their struggles together, literally, to learn from them, all these attempts ought to be made to show forth the vision and the wisdom of the glory of Jesus Christ, the King of the Jews. That is the wisdom of God that the church needs to claim, particularly as we celebrate Jesus' advent at Christmas. Well, that's, that's where Jesus' reign is, <laughs> our divine king. But who are his people? That's the second question we've got to ask ourselves. Who are King Jesus' people? Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He's not just talking about a nation. He's talking about a group of people. And there's a lot of reference in this passage to the Jewish people. There's a reminder here, if you didn't know, of Jesus' Jewish ethnicity, Jesus' Jewish thinking, and Jesus' Jewish environment. That's striking if you're new to the Christian faith. It's striking, particularly if you're, if a, a, if you're part of a Christian tradition that doesn't openly acknowledge that truth about Jesus. But what is most striking is that Jesus, in this passage, distances himself as far as he possibly can from the Jewish people themselves. Humanly speaking, Jesus sets himself apart from his own ethnic group. In verse 36, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. He's taking himself out of the equation. He says, I'm not one of them. And if my kingdom were a kingdom over them, they'd be fighting to save me. Jesus is saying that even though he's Jewish, he does not bring a Jewish message. He brings a cosmic message. He brings a message for all of creation. He brings a message that gives life and hope. If it were a Jewish message, the Jewish people would have protected him. Likewise, if it were a Roman message, the Roman people would have protected him. But the wisdom that we learn here as the Church of Christ is that messages that are primarily based on ethnicity or nationality are by nature substandard messages and unfit for the king, the divine king, Jesus. There's no good news in that message. There's no good news that we find hope in our ethnic background or our ethnic traditions. It's a lie. It's a lie that the church has believed in every nation and in every generation. And Jesus comes to smash that lie beneath his heel. He says, For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. So if he comes to bear witness to the truth, and the truth is that there is no preferential treatment based on ethnicity, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for the global church? 
who has this great divine cosmic king. It means, I would suggest, that we recognize, first and foremost, each of us, whether or not our ethnic group enjoys a pride of preference in our culture. It's an important step in our journey of faith as individuals. Does my ethnic group enjoy pride of preference in my culture? Jesus is doing it right here. As Pilate asks him who he is, why shouldn't we? That's the first step. The second step is to recognize those ethnic groups who don't enjoy pride of preference in your culture and develop love and empathy for them. Thirdly, get involved in opportunities to bridge that gap. Jesus, in this interchange with Pilate, is deeply concerned with the division of godly people over their ethnic heritage. And he casts his aside as a model and as a vanguard for what those who truly know the divine king will do when they discover him. John Perkins, American pastor, evangelist, and civil rights leader, has said this in his latest and supposedly last book called One Blood. He says, We have settled in America for an Americanized version of the church that mirrors whatever the culture says. And there's no collective sense of loss and no collective sense of remorse. It's going to take intentionally multi-ethnic and multicultural churches to break through the chaos and confusion of our present moment and redirect our gaze to the revolutionary gospel of reconciliation in Jesus. And I believe that. And I believe that's the wisdom of Scripture. So we know where Jesus' land is. It's everywhere. We know who Jesus' people are. And it's people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. But what is Jesus' mission? Well, we are a people saturated by news, saturated by events, world events, national events, saturated by politics, uh, and in many ways, like Dr. Perkins has said, we have allowed ourselves to be kind of sucked into the cultural moment, and uh, we're at a point where even if you are a follower of the uh, one true divine royal king Jesus, you get trapped in this space where who you vote for says more about you than who you live for. Who you vote for and support says more about you than who died for you and gave you new life. Who you elect and support says a lot about your mission and your goals to the point where we're almost shamed, ashamed sometimes to say who we voted for in front of other people because we know that the impression will be that they see us as being on a particular mission. 
But the royal divine King Jesus, who sits on the throne of David, has his own mission. That's the mission the church ought to be about. You see, we did not elect Jesus. We didn't elect him. And that's a key problem with doctrine, particularly in the American church. I can't speak to other nations. We've let our political climate influence our view of God to the degree that it's hard to pull the two things apart. Our elected officials have a mission. Preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. <laughs> Many of us have raised and elevated that mission to be doctrinally indistinguishable from our faith. But if Jesus' kingdom is not of this world, if his land and people transcend this world with their authority and size, his people are not confined to this place or this time, Pilate is starting to get the point as he interacts with Jesus in this moment, Pilate's like, well, what are you even here for? Why are you here? Jesus says, for this purpose I was born. And for this purpose I've come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Pilate's response to Jesus' claims ought to be, well, tell me the truth. I want to know it. I want to believe it. And Jesus is saying, I have. I told you who I am. I told you where I rule. I told you who my people are. And all that's left is for you to believe it. I've offered this to you, but you're rejecting it. Jesus is essentially saying to Pilate, and acknowledging, recognizing in Pilate, Pilate is asking Jesus for reasons to elect him. <laughs> this is... Give, give, me your stump, give me your best stump speech, Jesus. Tell me why you ought to be king of the Jews. But you can't elect a king. You cannot elect a king. And Jesus' sole mission is to establish his kingdom. And so how does that help us? How does that help us today as the satanic church demands a higher wisdom than the one they have to offer? What kind of wisdom is this? This kind of wisdom runs against the logic of the world as it relates to power and what power is. You see, secular power, power bound to time and space, it's all secular means, power bound, bordered by time and space, accomplishes, accomplishes its mission through force. Political force, military force, academic force. That's how it accomplishes its mission. Secular power has the power to close up borders and post guards and make war. Has the power to hire and fire. Has the power to place what to many of us is an offensive monument in a place uh, of reverence for us, a state capital. Secular power has the power to do that. But divine power, divine power is deep, deep wisdom. Divine power, displayed ultimately in Jesus Christ, accomplishes his mission through gentleness and self-sacrifice. Borders disappear. 
My kingdom is not of this earth. Guards lay down their arms. Everyone who calls me by the, the title king belongs to me. Bad guys are transformed instead of trodden underfoot. Offenders are loved. So in light of that, <laughs> let's reconsider the satanic monument. What's the problem with it? It's gaudy. It's ugly, okay? That's the problem. I, I, I could have made a better satanic monument than those guys. All right. Provocative, yes. Evil, probably. Is it more evil than confusing Jesus' reign with national citizenship? Ask yourself that question. Is it more evil than confusing it? Confusing Jesus' reign with national citizenship? Is it more evil than casting Jesus as a member of your ethnic group? Is it more evil than that? I don't think so. See, the problem with the satanic church is not that they threaten Christmas or even Christianity. The problem with the satanic church is those men and women are going to hell if nobody tells them about Jesus. <laughs> That's the problem. Don't get your feathers ruffled over the little things. There are people who don't know the wisdom of God that don't understand what the Bible teaches. And the church too often rubber stamps what the culture teaches about Jesus rather than giving the culture the true doctrine of salvation through faith alone and Christ alone. If our king's mission is to save people who are believing a lie with the truth, which we see in his interchange with Pilate, we're not in a battle to save Christmas. We're in a battle to save souls. That's the reality. Let them have their display. It's, 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 a, it's a reminder to us of how deeply the world needs Jesus in case you forgot. Who cares if our quaint celebrations get ruined? We have an eternal, divine king who has called us out of darkness and into light. Who is the hope of the nations and can do anything he wants for the sake of of his glory. And the world deeply, deeply needs to know who he is. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your holy word, which is true and good and rich. We thank you for preserving it for us over these thousands of years so that we can enjoy it and feed on it and be strengthened by it. God, we pray that you help us to have a heart that is oriented toward those who don't know you. Lord, we pray that we would have a heart and a desire to present the pure gospel of Jesus Christ to those who desperately need to know him. Lord, we ask that you change us and refresh us and make us new. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.